everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast. I'm Ryan Marr and usually I'm joined alongside me by Paul Cuddihy, but this week we have a very special guest because we have Celtic women's team player Tyree Burchell alongside us. Tyree, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm very, very good, yeah. Are you excited to be on? Yeah, I'm excited, yeah. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for having me. No, you're very welcome. So we've got plenty to come in this episode. We're going to chat to Tyree all about her career and about the Celtic women's team this season. And we also have the second part of that exclusive interview with Martin O'Neill to bring you. So make sure you stay tuned later on for that. Um, Tyree, just to give yourself a proper introduction for those that, that don't know maybe too much about yourself or your career. Only 17 years old and you're already playing for the Celtic women's first team and you're kind of following in similar footsteps to, to your dad, Mark Burchell, I'm sure a lot of Celtic fans will, will know. Um, just how does, it, how does it feel actually just to be at that age, to have come through the academy as well and to now be playing for the, the first team of the women's? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, honestly. Um, since I joined Celtic, I think everything's went um, quite quickly and obviously COVID and stuff like that. So now that I'm here playing for the club that I've supported my whole life, it's it's a dream come true. So I'm just delighted every day that I get to come to training and play under under Fran and in this team. And we'll get you on the podcast at a very good time as well because in the last match for the Women's Team 7-0 win over Dundee United, you got your first goal. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a great moment. I was just hoping I was... Uh, gonna make an impact when I came on and luckily I, I managed to score. Took a bit of a deflection but happy to see it going. You so, yeah. take them, don't we? <laughs> yeah, take them, take them all. What, what is that feeling like? Because it's something that I think everybody grows up, Celtic fan, you'll dream of scoring for the club that, that you support. So to actually do it, like talk us through what it was like. It was, it was, it was a weird feeling. Um, when the ball came over, Jazz actually shouted for Shane and it came to me and I was just hoping, I was like, I hope I don't embarrass myself because I was on my left foot. So I was, I was a bit nervous, but I, it took a good deflection and it, and it went in. So my family were in the crowd. So it was, it was a good moment, yeah. Yeah, what was that like then to share that with your family later on after you got off the pitch? No, it was good. Um, my dad actually scored his first goal against Dundee United. So it was actually a good wee moment um, between us both and we got to yeah share that together so yeah. That's incredible and that's what it's all about though isn't it like you, you obviously you're in this game to, to have a, a great career and things but to have those moments with your teammates and your, your family as well it must be so special. Yes yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy I can't believe that like um, I've managed to play for this team and obviously score my first goal it's, it's a great feeling. I'm sure there's plenty more to come I mean this season for you has been a bit of a but just kind of a breakthrough because you were in loan last season at Hamilton as well, getting experience there. So what's this season been like for you? How how different has it been? Um yeah, coming into pre-season I wasn't really wasn't really sure where I like stood within the team, but I just I worked hard and obviously Fran seen something that he thought to keep me around. So um started a couple of the first game of the season which was great, good win as well and started some games since then. So I'm just I'm just happy just to um get as many appearances as I can and contribute when I can. So yeah, it's it's great. What's the difference has been this season, kind of having more of a, a longer stay in the first team compared to maybe being at Hamilton last year or trying to break through in the season before that? Has, has there been anything like in training or in games where you've you felt that kind of step up? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think probably um, one thing that has helped me is being, being more confident. I think last year when I came in, I was a bit timid and stuff like a young player is coming up and um, but going out on loan and come back in I feel much more confident in myself and I was able to put it on the pitch and I feel like it's evident in my 
performances. Yeah, what was that Lonesville like last season then at Hamilton? Oh, it was great for me. I'm so thankful for everyone at Hamilton and my time there. Um, I think it really de developed me as a as a player, getting exposure like to the league and all the different teams and stuff like that. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And this season in general for the the women's team, you're still just a couple of points off the top of the table. How do you think things have been going? I mean, we're still in the race for the for the title. That's obviously something I'm sure you'll all be hoping to get your hands on at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, we started the league really well and we've had a wee bit of a blip, but um, I've got no doubt that we'll we'll bring it back. And we've got, there's so many more games left to play. So I think I've got 100% belief that we'll be able to do it. Yeah, it must have been for yourself last season, being on loan at Hamilton. It was a really successful season for, for the Celtic team, obviously winning two cups. What was it like sort of being in the outside then and, and watching on from afar? You must have been sitting there thinking I really want to be involved in that. No, it, it was good to watch actually because I, I was still training uh, obviously prior and then while I was still on loan so it was good to see. I've seen how hard the girls were working and I know they all deserved it so it was just, just good to see them get the success that they deserved. Yeah, so for this season is that the kind of the aim then? Do you think they're going for it, going for the title, or is it kind of getting Champions League football again? I know Fran's spoken about that. It's something really important to the club. Yeah, I mean, like we've got high expectations for this team. We've got high standards that we want to, and goals that we want to meet. So I think um, Champions League, winning the league, you know, we want we want to win it and we want to go to Champions League. So yeah, all very exciting stuff. Tyra, I'd like to actually go back to kind of the start of your journey of being a footballer, if that's okay. Um, you, you've come through the academy, as as we've mentioned. When did you first get picked up by Celtic? Um, I was about 13 years old. I was at Hibs prior, um, and I actually was doing gymnastics at the time, so it was kind of between gymnastics and Celtic, and for me, it's got to be Celtic. So, um, yeah, I, I got picked up when I was about 13, and yeah, ever since then, I've just been loving it. So about the gymnastics career, do you think you could have made it? Um, not quite, no, but I was, it was quite intense. Um, I was there, like, quite a lot, so I was, yeah, I couldn't do both, so I, I think I did make the right decision. Yeah, because that's, that's a lot in the body to do gymnastics in general, but then to try and do both, that's... Yeah, it, it was intense, but I feel like it's actually helped me get to where I am and helped me, aided my um, development. Yeah, and growing up, in a football family, as we mentioned, your dad, Mark, who came through similar similar way, came through the academy here at Celtic. Does, has he had a big influence in, in your career so far? Yeah, hundred percent. I would a lot of the credit goes to him. Um, like he's like a coach, everything, all in one. Honestly, um, yeah, it's, he's a massive help for me, and I'm a mum too. She tries to um, <laughs> take claim for some stuff, but in hundred percent, my dad's been such a great support and it's it's uh, good to see that like he's came through the academy and now I'm doing the same so it, it, yeah it's good. So when you were younger were you always aware of like your your dad's career? Uh, yeah um, I lived abroad um, for a part of my childhood because he was playing in different countries so yeah it was yeah it was always like that. So uh, so tell us about tell us about that a little bit because I think your dad played in Cyprus didn't he? Yeah. And did he play in um, and, and Thailand. Thailand? Yeah. So you grew up in both places? Yeah it was Honestly, unbelievable. I would love to go back. Um, uh, but yeah, it was great seeing different cultures and stuff like that and learning, um, seeing different parts of the world. It was great, actually. I think it was, I really enjoyed that time in my childhood. That's part of the, the life of a footballer, I suppose, that you hear it so often. You just, one year you're at one club, then you could get transferred and having to move family abroad. So what was that like to just never really know exactly where you could be next and then going to all these kind of amazing countries? 
I, I really enjoyed it to be honest. Like I was a uh, I was quite young, so I wasn't really too cleared up about what was going on, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then when we came back to Scotland, I was at like the same school with all my same friends uh, that I'd not seen in a while. So I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. If you could pick one thing from Cyprus and Thailand to to take away with you, you had to bring back over. What would it be? The sun. The sun. <laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> it has to be the sun. Anything else? Was there anything you really enjoyed about being um, over? Any foods or? Oh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure. No, definitely the sun. No, yeah. it's so cold the at the sun. moment. Oh. So we'd 100% take that. So when you're growing up then, and obviously your dad being a footballer, and you're kind of starting to make your own journey, like do you have a lot of conversations? What what sort of what sort of dad is he like? Uh, he's encouraging um, like I feel like 95% of our conversations are about football so uh, we're always we're always talking about it but no he's he's really helpful and encouraging and he, he's obviously he's my biggest supporter but my harshest critic at times which I'm, I'm not too fond of all the time but no he's it's great to have him and he's a, he's a, he's a good dad. Yeah and, and great to as you're saying to, to share those moments with him as well get your first goal things like that. Um, just kind of talking about the, the pathway then that you've, you've been on about coming through the Youth Academy at 13. So, because it's, it's something that we're probably seeing more of in the women's game recently, where for so long, it maybe for so many people, it didn't seem like a viable career option. So what was that pathway like for you? Was it always something that you thought you could make it as a professional when you were younger? Um, I wasn't too sure. What, like when I was younger, like previous to 13, I wasn't too like really like, into football, like obviously I played it, but I wasn't in, too into it. And when I obviously signed for Celtic, I f that's when it was a bit of a turning point for me. And obviously, like that's when there was like talk of like things starting to become professional in um, Scotland and down south. So I kind of thought like I didn't know if I would be able to make it, but I was like thought it would be good um, and starting to see like role models and stuff like that. So yeah, I always thought that maybe, but I wasn't too sure. But it's amazing now that you there is that pathway for for girls and. And for young women, that they can see the professional game now rising in Scotland yeah. and particularly in England. Like how how important do you think that will be? Yeah, I think it's it's good to see like the progress that has made, and it gives like belief to younger girls thinking that they can actually have a career in football and stuff like that. And to see obviously like this the league in Scotland is now like it's improved so much, and there's more professional teams. So I think it's it's only for the better. Mm -hmm. So what's it been like then coming into that dressing room this season in the first team? Has it been like to, I'm quite interested to know a little bit more about the girls, what what they're like. Is there is there any sort of jokers in the in the dressing room? Is anyone that stands out? Uh, I think everyone everyone can crack a good joke. I mean, I think um, I think I, I think Craig is quite funny, uh -huh. um, and people are just funny. Like Lou's really funny, but like she doesn't really mean it. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think who else. I think everyone's really funny. I can't really like put one person up. Yeah, is there anyone that's really kind of taken you under their wing since you've come into the dressing room? Um, I mean, I travel with uh, f four girls, uh, Liv Chance, Liv Ferguson, Lisa and Nats. So I feel like it's really good to have them every day, like traveling with them. So I think they've been they've been really good to help me settle yeah. in. And that's like a, a car full of top level experience as well in football. Are you just kind of like picking their ears all the time? I'm just, I kind of just sit and observe. I just okay. listen to what they say. Uh, the odd question, but nah, I'm just, I'm just observing, yeah. Yeah. And then just for the, for this season, like, what do you think the, we've kind of spoken about the ambitions for, for this season, maybe trying to go for the title in the Champions League, but this is really kind of the start of your 
footballing career? Do you, do you think yourself about your own ambitions or things you want to achieve later on in your career? Yeah, I try, I try not look too far ahead because, you know, things can change like instantly. But I mean, just trying to, just trying to improve and get better and just be the best footballer I can be really is just what I'm aim to do. Yeah, and hopefully a long career here at Celtic yeah. for you. Yeah, brilliant. Well, one person that did have a long career here at Celtic is was Martin O'Neill, who last week gave you part one of his interview with, with Paul Cuddihy. We're going to come back and we're going to finish off with a quick fire questions and see what you can do. But for now, let's give you part two of Martin O'Neill's exclusive interview with Paul. It's when you when you talk about coming to Celtic, and I wonder. Obviously, you're very much aware of the club and, and the rivalry in, rivalry in the city. But you mentioned the point that I think before the opening league game against the United, someone asks you because Rangers won the previous day. If, if Celtic don't win at Tannadice, is that is that the league over? Because you've only got another thirty-seven games after. Well, that was that was a frightening moment. I must admit because it it gave me the impression that they, they weren't expecting Rangers to drop too many points for a start. And it was, it was, and it was a, it like, it was almost like a light bulb moment, you know, in the sense that, I, you know, and it was about, and it must have taken place about 45 minutes before kickoff as well too. So you, you, you walk back to the dressing room down there, down at Tannadice, down to the bottom of the, the ground, and you really start to ruminate and you start to think, is that right? And it does, it, it, you know, it sends a couple of. Mm, uh, well, say shards of nervousness through your body, and I think, oh, boy, is that? And it was said; it wasn't said in jest, in the sense, you know, it was said that, that, and that if that's what they thought, my word, this is this could be really awkward. So when when Sutton scores a late goal for us, I I am ecstatic that we've won our opening game, and I just knew that we would we could get better, you know, but. That was important for us, at least for at least for the weekend. We had parity with Rangers, you know. Yeah, and obviously the people then start to look at the the first derby game, and I, you know, people now, as soon as you say to someone the six-two game, they know what that is. It's mm -hmm. synonymous with. Mm. I think not just that team, your arrival. There was a sense, I think, in the wider Scottish football that something had changed, mm -hmm. and and that game maybe crystallised the fact that this was a Celtic team. That, that was going to be very, very hard to beat. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're right now. And, and the more, the more that um, that I see Celtic fans of my vintage and and maybe their sons uh, talking about the game, I do believe that it it did change. It, not at the time, but more so now as I think about it, because for me, the winning of the match gave us the confidence to go on. That that was the most important thing. Never thinking about winning a league after six games and particularly beating your your rivals because remember they thumped us in November time, but it did give us a bit of confidence. But the more I think about it now, it really was because because we played brilliantly on the day because we'd scored three goals in the first eleven minutes and never had a start like that you know for a, for a long long time particularly against uh, Rangers and for a lot of reasons. And I think that people say, well, this became a, 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 a turning point in, in and, and really because it was like 2000 as well. So it was like the start of a new century. Yeah. And, uh, and Celtic have been pretty dominant in, ever since. So an active fight, it does maybe become a seminal moment, you know, in many aspects, which I didn't think at the time. But I, now I start to think, yeah, 
that, that probably was. If we'd not won it, Rangers might have gone on to have won the league by about 35 points, you know? Yeah. A seminal moment in, in, a, in what was probably a seminal season, because it was obviously the first time we'd won the, the treble since Jockstein had done it in 1969 as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. But, and then that leads on to all the European success, the great nights that we had yeah, uh -huh. from, yeah. from that season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, do you remember the game against Juventus, you know, something's, something's goal and then we're still waiting for the last minute to find out the result elsewhere might might still go in our direction. There was a late goal scored, I think, by Porto or something, I guess. Because yeah, like. it's those two Juvent Juventus games, that, that that's one of the greatest European nights that we've had and, yeah. and it was kind of slightly bittersweet, as you say, because Absolutely. we get nine points, we don't get through. Yeah. I always remember the game in, in, in Turin because I don't remember, I don't think I've, I ever saw you angry with that sense of that's it. I think it, it embodied what we all felt that there was just something not right about that penalty in the last minute that robbed us because we fought back so brilliantly. Absolutely, you know, and I think it's I think Stillian scored the second goal to, to to make it two two, but it was, and I think um, um, my my daughters played back the interview, but I would say about maybe about a year and a half ago, and you know what? They didn't know whether to laugh or cry. They didn't know <laughs> to laugh at my. At my shenanigans. All right, all right, there. Okay, no, no, it was terrible. It was really terrible. That's that a shocking result. No. All my usual words that I said, you know, talking about vocabulary, but uh, there was very little going on at that time. So yes, and but it was, uh, it was really, really terrible, terrible because it was nowhere near a penalty. It couldn't have been. And um, and when you start to think about what happened to Juventus in the next few years, you know, the number of times that they ended up getting relegated for. Um, for a few shenanigans, then you yeah. start to think, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, the what comes after that is, is Seville, which again in the book, because I, I we used to always have an argument in, in the office. You know, when you look at the, the context of your five years at, at Celtic, what was the the harder defeat, the Seville or for Park in the, mm. in the last yeah. day of? For me, it was always Seville was the, the, the tougher one because you know that way. I hadn't, I hadn't always expected us to get to a European final. We were so close. Yeah. I still feel we, yeah. we could have done that. And Absolutely. No, I, I agree with you because it's, um, I, you know, that we can, we know that, uh, that next year after Fair Park, we'll, we'll regain it. We'll regain it. It was hard to take because we had beaten Rangers at Ibrox a couple of weeks earlier and then go yeah. to lose to Hibs, ridiculous at home, and then beating Hearts, you know. so. So it's still in our own hands, and that was really disappointing. We should have won that game out of sight, out of sight. But um, but I agree with entirely with you because it is Seville. It's a European trophy. Be the first one we've won since you know since Jock, you know, mm -hmm. and that would have been fantastic. And Seville, I think, for anybody, uh, would have been much more sweet, you know. And it's lovely for people to talk about uh, it being uh, still a, a great episode, a great uh, a great journey. But for me, for us to win it would have been fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So I, I absolutely agree with you. I used to put them in a par, uh, but the more I think about it, it has to be, it has to be Seville. Although you do make the point, which I think is a good one, that it's probably one of the few seasons in football that, I, that anybody can ever remember where a team doesn't win any trophies. Mm -hmm. But it's it's revealed as a season. I know, I know. We'd ended up playing, I think, about sixteen or seventeen more more games than Rangers did during the course of the season, and that and they were still were still fighting for it. And um, and even even Seville extra time, being beaten in in the hot conditions, and then coming back 
to Rugby Park to try and get a, a result against Kilmarnock and scoring goals and knowing that Rangers are they're going to score goals at the other end but we're still fighting, we miss a penalty, we do all of those things and then Chris Sutton uh, makes some comments, post-match comments which I think we all agreed with. You know? <laughs> the only other one that, that always, maybe not quite as much as Seville but the following season the, the game against Leon, for me that's the great what if of, of mm. that team of yours. Because I, I genuinely, you, you had a team that I know knew, what you're going to say. knew how to win in Europe. And absolutely. And, and would have gone. And we would have gone. And we're far. into, we're into uh, knockout stages. And we could have, we could over two games, we could have done anybody. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, and I totally agree with you. And if Porto can win the Champions League with a, virtually the same side that we should have, should have beaten in 2003. But you're right. Here's an interesting thing I've got to tell you. So, as I'm doing some writing about the book, and... Um, and I have, you know, almost uh, put Bobo Baldy up on a pedestal or something like this here at one, one stage or another. And so, as my daughter was reading some of the stuff that I was putting in, and then she noticed that Baldy gets sent off in the uh, UEFA final for a, a, a ridiculous challenge. Then he, he handles the ball in the last minute. And she said, Dan, in general speaking, if somebody in your earlier days as a manager made those mistakes, you would have sacked them a long time ago. How can you revere somebody like that, Sierra? She did make me laugh and think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So Baldy, Baldy essentially stops the game, uh, you know, gets sent off in that match, then handles the ball needlessly yeah. in the box. And we're through, we're through in the group. You know, if he keeps his hands down, you know, we pick the ball up and, and the game's over. It's in the very last minute of the game. So, you know, I think my daughters have a point. I must phone Baldy up and tell him. Yeah. One of the things that I was, I was quite curious, oh, um, obviously all your experiences as a player and then in your early days as manager, that gives you the experience to deal with all these different issues that, mm. that will arise in football. And the one that made me laugh actually was, and I wondered how you would have reacted to the, the whole situation when it kind of precipitated your leaving Nottingham Forest when you... The, the relationship had obviously kind of deteriorated and, mm. and you decided, yeah. like you said, you took brave pills and said, right, if I'm not playing on Saturday, I'm going to tell I'm not turning up. Oh, yeah. How would I have dealt with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, listen, honestly, it's to my eternal discredit. <laughs> I, I, on a, but I, I so badly wanted to play every single week, every week, that any week, any week that I didn't play or would sob or something, it felt like to me like a Saturday wasted in my life. So I wanted to play, and I think that Brian Clough does mention, he said that in one of his autobiographies, I don't know whether it was the first or the 15th, uh, but he mentioned something that uh, he used to, he said the one thing he did, putting the team up and then finding O'Neill knocking on his door and asking for something. But I did say this time, I was so peeved with it. I said, I'm not turning up for the game. And uh, and the two of them, they were in the, and they were in the, uh, in the room together saying something like, uh, you what? What did you say there? You're not turning up for a game. So, and I didn't turn up, and yet the game had been postponed, but yet Brian Clough travelled over to see whether I was on or not. Anyway, I have to say that that's, you know, if I'd really started to think about it properly, you know, I should have got my head examined, really, about it. You know, go and play the games. You have to accept that this is what's happening. But, and... And how would I have dealt with a player? Can you imagine, let's say, 
let's say you know what a brave post to, to try that new manager. let's say let's say Stylian Petrov said to me you know I am not playing now and, I, and because I'm not playing in the right position God you'd have told him what for wouldn't you really I know so yeah to my eternal discredit well one of the one of the kind of slightly nice things about obviously in the back of that and then you, you'll leave Nottingham Forest but obviously you, you must have kept a, a good relationship with Brian Clough because you're one of the, the three people that his family asked to speak at his mm. memorial service which yeah. I thought was really nice the fact that as I said earlier you're probably the most successful of his players that were mm. on the management that must have been a nice thing I, it really was I must admit it came right out of the blue um, it was his memorial service and uh, one of his great friends spoke at it uh, called Geoffrey Boycott, the, the Yorkshire cricketer. And for me to be asked, it really was uh, an, an absolute honour that, that, um, that Brian Clough's wife and family decided that I, you know, the, the person that probably caused him a couple of headaches along the way, not necessarily for the right reasons, um, should be asked to speak at it, and it was really was an honour. And um, and I uh, just I just to to say the words and, and and speak about him in the manner in which I did do, it was amazing because my first ever memory of Brian Clough. I was a Sunderland fan as growing up. Obviously, Celtic my team really in that aspect, but you always had an English team to be supporting, and so Sunderland, who were very 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 seldom in the big league at the time. So no wonder nobody else, none of my school friends supported Sunderland. But anyway, so um, and 19, Boxing Day 1962, and I'm 10 years of age, and Sunderland, Sunderland lose at home to Bury. The pitch is frozen. Um, uh, Sunderland miss a penalty as well too in the game. First time they're beaten in two years at Roker Park, and Brian Clough gets injured in the game. And Brian Clough, and if I had ever known that this very man that I almost was crying about at that time would cause me so many headaches and that I would end up speaking at his memorial service, you know, and I'm 10 years of age when I'm, I wept because Brian Clough was going to be out for a couple of weeks. I didn't realise this was the end of his career. And so, uh, you know, I was, as I said to um, so for him to come in years later and change, not just my life, but change John Robertson's, change Tony Woodcock, Viv Anderson and Ian Boyer, you know, to change their lives and uh, not just footballing careers, but your lives, you know, starting to think about things in a, in, in a different fashion. Well, that's, you know, do uh, you know what? I honestly think that I, uh, I, I would be, a, um, I'm, a, I'm a richer person, richer, richer, I don't mean in, in, in terms of money, but I'm a richer person for having met Brian Clough, in it, you know? In the same way, exactly the same way that Bertie Old is a richer person or was a richer person for meeting, um, for meeting Jock Steen. The other thing I enjoyed, um, because obviously in terms of your playing career, you have that <coughs> incredible World Cup experience with Northern Ireland in 1982. So obviously I'm reading this book during the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And there's a brilliant story of when you play against Portugal. Yeah. And after the game, everybody wants Eusebio's jersey. Yeah. And I actually was watching an Argentina game and I was wondering, how do the players decide who asks for Messi's jersey? Mm -hmm. And obviously you tell the story of chasing Eusebio to get his shots. Yeah. But not only that, you, you then use them for going on holiday for the next three or four well, years. That's absolutely true because they were, they were, the shots are lovely and they had down, down, down the side, they had the, um, the Portuguese colours as well too. Mm -hmm. So they were really, really lovely. And um, Brian Hamilton, is, is, um, he is essentially man-marking 
Eusebio for the last 10 minutes of the game just to make sure that he's standing beside him to get his shirt. And I had scored in the game. This is my full debut for Northern Ireland. And I'm thinking, well, uh, Eusebio might want to change his shirt for me. You know, must be joking. And um, so as he's walking down the tunnel at Highfield Road, it was at Coventry because we couldn't play the games because of the trouble. Um, then he's, there he is, you know, just, just a big lad, you know, very, very strong even then. And I thought, well, you know, if I can't get a, if I can't get his uh, his shirt, I can get his shorts. So I tapped him on the shoulder. He turns around, and I keep pointing to the shorts. He initially didn't know what I was on about, but I said, "Your yeah, shorts," and he takes his shorts off and uh, gives them to them. So um, yeah, as I said to you, had beachwear for the next four <laughs> years, honestly, just because they were Eusebio shorts. Another the World Cup. I noticed uh, I saw an interview before the World Cup with Roy Keane. Uh, Obviously was here, you, he was your assistant at Ireland, and he did say he was going to be reading two books during the World Cup, and yours was one of them, so... Oh, is that right? Did so he? Did he? Honestly, is so that can, right? Well, when he comes back, you can test him just I will to, I'll test to him to see, sure. see if he's actually read it, absolutely. Because, right. you know, I was saying to you about some of the great, uh, the kind of influential people in, in your career, and I, and I felt in the book, you know, Billy Bingham, who you'd had a kind of mm. started a relationship with mm. before he was the Northern Ireland manager, but for him, in the early 80s to, to make you the first Catholic Absolutely. captain in Northern Ireland would have taken a lot of, because he must have known that he would have got criticism for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, and, it yeah. It, and, it, and it was a big thing, it was a big deal as they call it, in that, in the, because even though I was having good experiences in European football with Nottingham Forest, it was an easier decision for him you know, to have made a, a Protestant the uh, captain on the side. And he knew that he would get some flack from it. You know? But he did say to me, uh, that he said, listen, we start winning matches, he said, all this will dissipate, you know, and, uh, and luckily we started to win a few games. But absolutely, a really big decision for him, because for an easier life for him, you know, he could have, he could have made all the choices. Yeah. In terms of, of, of doing the book, how much did you actually enjoy the whole process of effectively reflecting back on your, on your career from your childhood all the way through playing and managing? Right, okay. Well, honestly, I, I genuinely mean this. I could have written the whole book just on Celtic. Mm -hmm. Could have done the whole, the whole, the whole book. Um, and I, and um, there are certain things that didn't even, didn't, that didn't make the process that I'd written out. I'd written out some really, what well, I thought they were kind of funny stories, like, like going to Dallas with the, uh, with the Leicester City chairman, you know, and he thinking he had found the missing bullet, you know, in the, in the streets of Dallas, what I found really, really funny. And I took this time to write it, and uh, I'm afraid the publisher said, no, well, no, it's a football book. And I, th I thought it was actually, I yeah. genuinely actually quite really enjoyed it. And other bits that didn't make it, but I was just saying to some of, the, of my great old friends here uh, at Celtic, I genuinely, I could have written the whatever number of pages there are 300 odd pages on Celtic alone or 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 even even Leicester City alone or something like this here or even your you know but you have a book and and you don't want to bore people to submission and and it's difficult sometimes not to mention out of the people that you you know that you would like to mention mm -hmm. in fact I've had a call I've had a call from my brother uh, my brother younger brother he says uh, he only gets one mention in the book and, it's, and I hadn't realised that, that that is true, he did. Because he used to, when we were at St. Columns together and, and um, um, uh, my two brothers, uh, 
one's two years younger, another one's another two years younger. And so the youngest one was the one that had to clear out the mice out of the, the, um, the, the mouse traps eventually in, in our room. And uh, that was his job, you know. So, and, um, and he said, well, uh, uh, and he phones me and tells me, he said, oh, I, I, I think I'm worth more to you than just clearing out mice traps and stuff like this here. So it is absolutely, from that viewpoint, it's uh, that um, I said to him, well, if, if there's a rewrite, I promise you, I said, oh, I, I know. But the, I must admit there's a couple of other little stories in childhood that, uh, that, didn't, uh, that didn't make the book either. But, but listen, that's the nature of the game. Yeah, because you also mentioned a couple of times Dermot Desmond being pivotal when you come in here to Celtic, mm -hmm. then also being pivotal and you in, taking in, over in the Republic of Ireland. But particularly here, because, because Dermot could have had other choices, you know, could have made all the choices, but he decided for some reason or other, and we didn't know each other at all, that he was, that he was going to go with me. And I, I, I have to be eternally grateful for that because I would never, uh, you know, I think I mentioned that without him, um, managing Celtic would only have been a dream rather than a reality. But it's like you kind of mentioned it as well in, in the book about the, those what if moments because the, the scout came over to watch, I think, when you were playing for Distillery. And mm -hmm. it, I, I, you I, didn't I, have a great game, I don't no, think. No, no, no. I, actually, I, if I say I didn't have a great game, that might, might be a euphemism for being absolutely <laughs> rubbish, you know? Yeah. We're obviously, um, we're here in the Kerry Dole Suite at Celtic Park, you're going to be speaking to, in front of hundreds of Celtic fans. How much do you enjoy, I suppose it's probably a rhetorical question, because I'm sure you do, coming back, because in the book people will love reminiscing about those five years, and I suppose it's the chance for you as well, and maybe just a reminder of how much the Celtic fans appreciate those five years and everything that, that you achieved. I, well, I, absolutely. I, do you know what I'm really, uh, I'm really concerned about? I've, d I've done a couple of little talks here, and uh, and some of the stories which I, I think are actually quite funny and apocryphal, maybe in many aspects, you know, and uh, sometimes slightly exaggerated for uh, exaggeration's sake, and things that get here. And I'm so worried in people in the audience that oh, I've heard that one before, <laughs> you know. So that that is, that is kind of concerning me. But uh, if I if I admit if I admit firsthand and say, oh, I'm sorry, listen, you've heard this story before. Hopefully not. I'm going to try and change up a few things uh, tonight. But we're it's, it's kind of like what we were saying earlier on. Those that that first season, th those successes, it laid the foundation for what's been an extraordinary, you know, last twenty odd mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people love mm -hmm. reminiscing because they remember the great players, the great results, the mm -hmm. great moments, and. Yeah. Fans will always love that. I th I think that's right. I th and I do genuinely think that we you know we we with obviously the players uh, brought back some really good days. And I, I you know and S I know Celtic had also stopped ten in a row, which was fantastic, really important with Vin Janssen, that's Luton and Murdo, uh, really really good. But they had been in the doldrums for some time. So uh, I know so to come up and actually. Which I think I did. I think I kind of changed the mentality of of the players, as, which is the most important because they're the ones that represent in the club. Yeah. So you have to change the mentality. And then I got the likes of um, Henrik Larsson, uh, being brilliant player, and then giving him better service than perhaps he had before. You know, getting wide players to be able to deliver crosses and things that is here, and then trying to get a sturdier defence and uh, and putting Malby back from centre midfield to to. Uh, what I used to say to him, I don't know why you're centre midfield, Johan, because you actually can't play there, you know. 
And, and uh, he said, that's not my position. He said, I'm just centre-back. Get back to play centre-back. And he was just yeah, fantastic. Phenomenal. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And just finally, obviously we bring it right up to date, how pleased are you with you know, the way the club's fortunes have gone under Ange Postecoglou? Oh, l listen, uh, it's remarkable. He's, uh, he's done wonderfully well, wonderfully well, for every reason under the sun. But particularly, I think, coming in here, Nobody really knowing for certain, you know, for you know who he actually was. Two, but then he brings in some players that people really didn't know. And third, he doesn't get off to the best start in the world. So to fight all of that, you know, to have the confidence or the self-confidence. Sometimes, as I say, you need a wee break here and there, which you, which we all do. Um, but overall, to have that still that that belief and that kind of philosophy that uh, I hate to use that word because it's overused in the game. But to have that sort of uh, way of playing, the style, and um, and the commitment the team have to have to him as well, to it's it's terrific, really, really terrific. My own view is that, um, and I, I'm not not an apologist for him at all. But I think in the Champions League games, of which most of the games I saw, I think there's only one game I, I missed. There were moments in those matches that had they scored first in games, those things would have changed. This idea that Real Madrid were in cruise control is just nonsense because Real Madrid, Celtic had them on the rack in the first half in the game. So I think with all those experiences behind you, if you can you know, add a couple of extra players, just tinker a little bit with European football, which you will have to do, just not, not change your style of play, but you know, just, just not every moment is going to be a glorious moment in the game. All the things that he knows already. And, um, and he's clever enough to do this. He will make little adjustments here and there that hard, you'll hardly notice, but they'll make adjustments. And, uh, and honestly, it's, it's a terrific time for Celtic. Martin, I have to say, I, I loved your book. Honestly, did you? Uh, really, I, genuinely? I really did. Oh, uh, it, was, it was great. And as I say, it was a reminder to me, because I was, I was young and I remember those Nottingham Forest days, it was a great reminder. And it's always a joy to talk to you. Honestly, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, there we have it. It's always great to hear from Martin O'Neill there. A Celtic great and so many great stories there. Right, Tyree, what we always do when we have a guest on is we finish on a quick-fire 60-second quiz. Now, these are questions all about yourself, about your teammates, maybe some stuff about Celtic in general as well. So, at the moment, Taylor Otto is a leading woman with seven, but the, the highest scorer is Cameron Carter-Vickers on eight points. So... I'm thinking. I think you could. I think you could. You could. You go back and and get a better score than Taylor and get back into that changing room and and, and show off. You ready for it? I think so. Okay. So what I'll do? I'm going to stick sixty seconds on the clock. And your time starts in three, two, one. So you scored your first goal against Dundee United in a seven 0 win, but your goal made the scoreline what? Six 0 Yes. You made your Celtic debut against which team? Motherwell. Yes. What was the score in that game? 8-0. It was, yeah. Which men's team player for Celtic has scored the fastest ever European hat-trick for the club? Uh, my Mark Virgil. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, your dad played in two different countries outside the UK. Name one of them. Cyprus. Yes. Oh. How many years has Kelly Clark been at the club now? Has it been 8, 9 or 10? Nine. It was nine, yeah. Who scored the winning goal for the women's team in the Scottish Cup final last year? 
Is he? Yes. You have how many caps for Scotland under 17s? Five. Four, I've got. Four. You scored two goals for under 17s. Can you name one of the, 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 can you name the first country you scored against? Wales. Yes. The Celtic team have played 12 games this season so far in the league. How many have we won? How many games have we played, sorry? 12. 11. Oh, 10. 10. 10. I'll give you, I'll give you. <laughs> nine. That was amazing. Nine? Yeah, you got nine, right? Yeah. Oh. You only got one. You only got one wrong, which was the uh, Cats for Scotland. I got it down as four. Was that I right? I think I started four. I came on in one. I don't know. Did you? Yeah. So it is five? Yeah. Well, then that's ten. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Is everyone correct? That's, oh. that's the first time that's happened. How did you feel about that? It was not bad, not bad. Well, if you if it stays like that, we'll need to get you a prize or something <laughs> at, the, at the end of the season. You can go back into that changing room and say, because Taylor's taking part, Rachel Johnson's taking part, and Lucy Ashford Clifford, so you beat them all. So there you go. It's not bad. <laughs> That's probably. I'm very impressed at that. I'm very impressed. Um, Tyree, the women have a, a next game coming up is Motherwell at home and uh, in, in the league. How you how, how the, the the team sort of feeling going into into that one? It's you've only got a couple of games left before having a, a winter break. Is that right? Yeah, I think actually it's our last game. So okay. we're just looking to round the year off and get three points. You know. We're confident the last performance was good, so we just hope to get the three points. Yeah, and are you looking forward to having a little break over Christmas? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but you know, just I'm just excited to get the league going again. Yeah, what sort of Christmas traditions? We're kind of asking guests every time they come on now about their about Christmas now is approaching. What what's your sort of your your favourite things to do around that time? Probably just spend time with family. It's yeah. a bit boring, but you know, <laughs> just get everyone round and just have a good time. But yeah. yeah, it must be nice though having a bit of a break over that period where you can just kind of enjoy things a little bit more. Yeah, it's good to get a rest and kind of like take your mind away from football um, and just yeah have a good relax and just reset. But yeah, yeah. Well, all the best in that game against Motherwell and all the best in the season. Then starts again. I'm very, very impressed at that, that score you got there. But thank you so much for, for joining us. I hope you, you enjoyed being on, Tyree. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you for having thank me. Thank you. And thank you for, for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast. Bye for now.